from the Super Sweet Studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another Waves of Grain Hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Have you ever wanted to grow your own sweet corn, but were afraid it would be too complicated? On today's show, we'll reveal how easy it is for you to get that most perfect taste of summer. As long as you follow seven or eight simple rules, that is. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, Cats and Kittens. That's right, potential guests are busy sorting their seeds. So we will take that heap and help it. Of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and sincerely sensory salutations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, because it's all coming up faster than you smiling through a face full of buttered ambrosia right after this. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, we will tell you everything you know to grow your own patch of sweet corn, that most superb taste of summer. But mostly it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. So we're taking that heaping helping of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Don, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how's it going? I am doing just ducky, Don. Thank you for asking. How is Don doing? I'm doing great. And where is Don doing great? Uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville. Is there anything left of the World's Fair that was held there decades ago? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots. <laughs> uh, they, they still have a giant globe, and uh, people still don't stop talking about it here. That's great. Yeah. That's great. What uh, what can we do for Don in Knoxville? Um, well, I'm hoping it's a pretty simple question. I uh, have a, a bunch of uh, pear trees in my backyard, right. uh, but they have a lot of uh, um, algae growing on and a few holes that have just kind of burrowed through all the way to the ground. They don't seem to be uh, in too, too dire straits, but they... Uh, uh, and they, they produce a lot of fruit, but I just don't know what I should be doing if I should fill these holes with something or uh, blast the uh, algae off, uh, <laughs> leave them alone. Yeah. Yeah. Dire Straits, that'd be a good name for a band, Don. Um, <laughs> so, um, how many pear trees do you have? Uh, four. Okay, good, good. And uh, they're fairly old? Um, they've been here as long as the property, uh, since I've been on the property, so. I would guess that they've been there for a long time. But every spring they flower real well, and then they produce lots of pears. Huge amounts of pears, yeah. Do you ever have so many pears that you have to thin them out early on just to keep them from breaking the branches? I would say so, yeah. I yeah. mean, I never do, but I do. they get so heavy that they start drooping down where they'll hit you in the head. Yeah, don't be afraid. Uh, with other fruit trees, we thin to make sure the remaining fruits get to full size. But with pears, pears can set so much fruit, they can actually break their own branches. So if it seems like one branch is really heavy, don't be afraid to um, take one or two developing fruits off because you know how much you'll get off of any tree. Yeah. Now, algae, moss growth, Things like that on trees are not at all unusual, especially as all Boy Scouts know on the north side of the tree where it doesn't get that sun uh, to get it off. Now, if it's really bothering you, I I think what you suggested would probably be the best idea. At the end of winter, before they really start flowering, if you wanted to go in there, I wouldn't use a pressure washer. I would use a garden hose where you can adjust the nozzle to a real fine stream of water and just see what comes off, um, just just for ornamental sake. But it's not hurting the trees, obviously. Um, the fruiting and the flowering, that shows you the health of the tree 100%. Now, when you say there's holes in the tree. Generally, if you have creatures called borers, B-O-R-E-R-S, um, digging their way into a tree, they could be a beetle larva, they could be a moth larva, 
they generally go into the tree. But you're saying there are holes through the tree? Yeah, through, uh, there's a, you know, when you cut off a limb, you yeah. know, that uh, bit of rot that ends up happening if it's not cut properly. Uh, so you get a couple of those. But there's uh, one specific, uh, well, two trees that have basically the uh, where the, the main uh, stump of the tree Main trunk. First big branches off. Yeah. Um, right there, there's you know water puddles there, and there is a hole that goes straight to the ground. I can shove a water hose in one of them, and just keep filling it up. Wait a few seconds, it empties itself, and just keep going. You need uh, a so hobby, like man. All the way down yeah. to the dirt. But. Um. So these are holes that go straight down. Straight down. Yeah. In the trunk. That's highly unusual. I mean, there are woodpeckers called yellow-bellied sapsuckers that can make a lot of holes in a tree. Um, and sometimes they can go around so much they can actually girdle the tree and do damage. And some of these borers, these uh, larval forms of the insects, they can do the same thing. Their galleries can encircle the inside under the bark, and that can cause a lot of damage. But, you know, the truth is a hole that goes straight down is not going to harm the tree in the least. Okay. And trees can take a lot of stuff like this. You've been in, like, old graveyards or churches where you've seen a massive tree that's actually grown into a fence and absorbed Mm -hmm. part of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. So I wouldn't worry about it. Uh, It sounds like your pears are very happy, very healthy, and um, they are the easiest fruit to grow. And I hope you enjoy them. Oh, yeah. Lots of compost at the end of the season. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Nothing to worry about, man. Good news. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care, sir. 833-727-9588. Dorothy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky today, Dorothy. How are you doing? I'm both well and fortunate. Okay. Where is Dorothy both well and fortunate? In Elkton, Maryland. I know Elkton, Maryland. That was the that was the famous place you ran away to get married because you didn't have to take a blood test or something like that. Oh, that's right. With Dad in hot pursuit. That's it. Shotgun capital of the world. Darn too. All right. What can we do for Dorothy in historic Elkton? Well, Dorothy is a fallible soul, and she did something, and then later she heard you say that it was oh so wrong, and now I'm wondering, is there any hope? Can I undo the damage? Well, uh, proceed. My crime was starting a compost heap and then going to Walmart and getting fishing worms and dumping them in there. Oh, that's interesting. They have thrived, but I heard you say that they murder the local worms. Am I correct? No, no. um, Oh. No. Now, the, quote, bait worms that you purchased at Wally World, they are long, slender red worms? Well, there was a bunch of different kinds, and I probably grabbed several just in the hopes they'd survive. I can't really recall. Because fishing worms, obviously, is is a large category. Were you to have a worm bin in your house? Um, where worms would be eating your kitchen garbage for you and turning it into worm castings, which is really the only material that's actually better um, than compost at growing plants, you would be specifically given red wigglers, that Cadillac of worms. Ah. But I know that um, other places will sell the Catalpa worm, which is actually a form of caterpillar, and some people swear by, quote, night crawlers, the, the common outdoor worm. Well, I kind of had to get over my terror of worms in general. I'm more afraid of worms than I am from snakes, and I realize that's very silly. Well, but they're, I, uh, they're, they're both you know, good for you. I kind of ran to Walmart, grabbed those containers out of the refrigerator, you know, chose more than one kind and just, you know, uh, looked away while I dumped them and then threw some dirt over top. They are thriving. I just thought that I had heard you say that they weren't really the best environmental choice. Am I wrong? Uh, Well, uh, uh, yes. Yes. In one sense, you're wrong. But there's some confusing information out there about worms. There is a consensus in the scientific community that there are no native worms left in our part of North America that the little ice age that occurred 10,000 years ago 
uh, wiped out all the native species of worms. And then there were no worms for quite a long time until literally the pilgrims and other immigrants brought over potted plants that had European earthworms in the soil. And those European earthworms have escaped, so to speak. They've become part of our environment and ecology. Some scientists don't like them. They think they transform the forest floor too quickly because the job of of many of these worms is to take the fallen debris, the leaves, the dead plants, and turn it back into soil. I I have a hard time believing that Native American earthworms didn't survive, but that's neither here nor there. Um, The idea is that there are specialized worms. Now, earthworms, the ones that are out there wherever they came from, if you have a compost pile or a bin and it is open to the ground, you know, it's sitting on top of a lawn or a patch of dirt, Uh then as that material gets piled in, earthworms are going to come in. They are going to come in and they're going to work the contents. They're going to eat your kitchen scraps. They're going to eat the fall leaves. And they are going to leave behind worm castings. Um, And the nice thing about making sure you have ground contact is if you make superb compost, you make it really good with well-shredded leaves and coffee grounds, that compost is going to naturally heat up quite a bit. Well, earthworms aren't dumb. They'll stay in the center of the compost until it gets too warm. Then they'll drop back into the subsoil, and then they'll come back in again after the compost is finished and work it over and over again, making it even better and better. So that's a great solution, and you you don't have to introduce the worms. So for future, should I move, for example, I'll just put the compost out there and let nature take its course. Exactly. Had you limited yourself to true composting worms, the red wigglers, they would have done the same thing, but they could not survive winter. Earthworms have the ability and the desire to go six feet deep in in the worst of winter and even in the worst of summer and come back up when the temperatures are more more nicer. Um, Composting worms can't do that. That's why worm bins have to be kept inside unless you're in San Diego or something like that. Yes, but you've you've done no harm whatsoever. I don't believe there's any, well, I mean, there's, there's the nasty worms that you see on those late night TV shows, the monster inside me and everything like that. <laughs> um, but in terms of gardening, in terms of red wigglers or earthworms or night crawlers, all worms are good for the garden. All worms are good for the environment. Okay, one last question and I will run away. Um, should I prep the ground before dumping the compost on it? If it looks like, say, hard pan, do I need to grab my little weasel tool and just twist it up a little bit before I drop the compost on there, or will the worms work their way through? Did she just call me a weasel? A little weasel? No, dear. No, dear. I I'm was a... talking about my, my favorite tool. I'm a that Now, see, she's doing it again. Jeez. Twist uh, <laughs> No, the idea of when you apply compost, especially to raised beds, is you never want to disturb the soil underneath because that'll release old weed seeds. Just put the fresh compost on top, and it will actually improve the soil structure underneath without you moving it around. Wow. So easy is good, huh? Easy is always good. Bending is for chumps. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Edward, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Uh, Good morning. I have... uh... These mahonia plants, uh, they're shrubs. They're getting kind of uh, uh, lanky. Some of them are kind of bare halfway up now, and they're just some leaves at the very top and at the very bottom, but there's a big bare spot in between, and I wondered if I could cut that back, if I could prune them and get and get more growth. How much sun does this shrub get, Ed? It gets, uh, gets about uh, five, six hours of sun. Oh, okay. That's not bad. Is it in a totally wet spot or something? It's not in a real wet area. And this was a wet year. You know, lankiness is generally um, a lack of sun. But like so many things that happened this year, this could just be um, water stress. Now, uh, Mahonia blooms in the spring, right? Pretty kind of blue violet flowers. Yeah. 
And did you get a nice show of flowers this year? Uh, no, I'd say fair. Okay. And uh, what time do the flowers fade? Do they last about a month, something like that? Yeah. Okay. So you have two choices. If you just want to play around and you don't care about the flowering experience, you could trim this thing back artistically by a third in the dead of winter, if that were your idea of a good time. The smart money says to wait until the flowers come out, and then when you're pretty sure it's produced all its flowers, you can trim around them. That period, about two weeks after plants begin to grow in the spring, is the safest time to prune almost anything. What you don't want to do is prune it now because you would expose the plant to winter injury and you would almost certainly destroy any flowering show you'd get next year. So wait till it flowers in the spring. Yes, yes, that's the smart money. Everybody okay. has itchy fingers, Edward. Uh, you know, generally they call right at the worst time to do any pruning. So if you, want, if you like the basic plant and you want it to stay healthy, you can take a little off in the dead of winter if you don't worry about the flowers. And I, I still say the smart money is wait till the flowers appear and then prune around them. And then if you want to do a little more after that, you can prune a little bit again after the flowers fade. You should always clip off the faded flowers no matter what for the strength of the plant. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind listeners around the globe that anyone can participate in our annual flower show adventure, as long as you can get to Philly on Wednesday, March 6th. That's when I'll deliver my annual lecture at the Philly Flower Show at 4 in the afternoon. Then at 5.30, I'll host a meet and greet for 20 couples who've made a generous show of support for public broadcasting. Then I'll take that group into the show for a behind-the-scenes tour with the show's designer, Sam Lemhenny. Makes a great Valentine's gift, hint, hint, guys. Details at YouBetYourGarden.org. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT, PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from PBS 39 in beautiful Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, it is not that difficult to grow your own sweet corn, and you'll never taste better than homegrown with that precious crop of summer. We'll tell you everything you need to know later in the show. But now we're back to more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Helen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Yeah, um, I have... A couple, well, actually, a couple questions. But all right, I I want to give you background, and I want to describe where I live. Okay. I moved to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, from Michigan last right. March. Good, good, good timing. Uh, I I live in a wooded area. It's mostly mature trees. Right. I Great mean, for some gardening. Some of them are a hundred feet tall. Um, tulip trees, beech, mm-hmm. couple oak, and a few ash, and I'm treating getting the ashes treated. Um, in general, it's full shade and it's partial shade in some areas around the house. The trees are fairly, I don't know, widely spaced. There isn't much uh, underbrush. Um, that, that's exactly I, natural. One of the things that people don't realize about deciduous trees is when they drop their leaves in the fall, they smother everything else on the forest floor. That's that's why you tend to see what almost looks like man-made trails between giant old trees like this. Yeah. Um, now, when I got, well, pretty much, this is here, and it's sort of, I've seen it all over town. There's 
the ground has a lot of English ivy in Vinca Minor. Mm-hmm. And some of my neighbors have Pachysandra, but I don't think they planted it. I think it was there when they bought the lot. I don't know. Okay. In any case, um, where I live, it's on a slope, and at the bottom there's a brook. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the house is up some. Okay. All right. The dirt is what I'd call bad dirt. It's like a yellow-brown clay. Yeah, okay. It has rocks. It's hard to dig. Mm-hmm. It's down near the book. It's mucky. But the rest of it, you know, not. it's not dry, but it's... it's I, I, I know what kind of soil you got. Now, what are we trying to do here? Well, first of all, I, around the house, I want to um, plant some flowers in small bushes. And I know that I need to be aware of their shade tolerance and stuff like that. But what I sort of want is what in the heck, what can I do, what soil amendment should I use? Um, I put in some, last fall, some mushroom soil. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen with that. But now, um, Now, what do you mean you put it in? Oh, I had... My landscapers just put on two inches of mushroom soil or in about a 20 by 20 foot area. In oh, front good. Of my house. Good. That was smart to do. Yeah. Um, but I've got more that I want to put in. And I don't know. Would you recommend mushroom soil or compost okay. or topsoil? For people who don't know, mushroom soil is very abundant in Pennsylvania. It's the substrate that they use to grow mushrooms on top of. Uh, Generally, different substrate for different types of mushrooms, but the most common is a mixture of fairly fresh horse manure and ground-up corn cobs and then minor elements like green sand. When it comes out of the mushroom house, it's still very hot. I mean, hot to the touch, and it stinks. Um, After it ages for about a year... It'll be one-third the size, um, but it won't be hot to the touch, and it won't stink. So you want to be very careful with fresh mushroom soil. That has to age. But once I think mine was aged because it didn't Oh, you'd be able to tell. Believe me. You know, you'd be outside on the patio, and you'd go, is that you or me, honey? So (laughs) don't worry about that. Um, But aged mushroom soil will improve the quality of your subsoil without you digging it up. So you want to install plants in this clay. You're worried about them thriving. That's always good. But the rule of thumb is when you're planting, you dig a hole, you put the plant in, you fill the hole back up with the same soil you removed, and then you put some sort of organic mulch on the surface, and the best would be aged mushroom soil or compost. The reasons for this are two. First, if you fill the hole with nice, loose material, the roots of your plants will never spread out. They'll just stay in that nice little island, Um, and that leads to dead plants and weakened plants. Plus, when you add compost or topsoil or mushroom soil to the surface of the soil, two inches every year, it gradually improves the soil. So it's miraculous in one sense in that you don't have to dig up the soil to improve it. But adding compost or mushroom soil instead of wood chips on top of the soil will make that soil within five or ten years the envy of the neighborhood. Okay, so it doesn't need to be rototilled in or anything like that. If you rototill it in, you'll be fighting weeds for the rest of your life. Tilling, right. tilling right. is for tilling is for chumps. Oh, all right. I I didn't know that. Um, all right. So I'm gonna get some probably more mushroom soil or mushroom soil and compost, and I can do that. So yeah, never till your soil. Always put the improved soil on top, and like I said, you'll be the envy of the neighborhood. All right. Okay. All right. Will you take care? Good luck to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break. 
and let our listeners and our viewers around the nation in on a very special treat. Every year, You Bet Your Garden has a special event at the Philadelphia Flower Show, where the flower show designer Sam Lemhenny and I have a meet and greet with our listeners, and then Sam and I take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of the central exhibit of the Philadelphia Flower Show and talk about what it takes to pull off this mammoth undertaking. It is a fabulous event. It is also a fundraiser for the station that brings you You Bet Your Garden. So if you would like more information, the event will be Wednesday, March 6th, right in the middle of the flower show, beginning at 5.30 and lasting until you can't stand up anymore. For more information, call 1-800-360-0039 Or just check out our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. Eight three three seven two seven ninety five eighty eight. Karen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Karen. How are you? I'm well. How about yourself? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. And where is Karen well? Uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Oh, very good. Uh, what area? You know, this is like I have to do this like with I used to with Philly now. What neighborhood? What area? Uh, we're actually South Whitehall Township. Okay. But it's considered an Allentown address. Okay. All right. Well, what can we do for you? I was given two orchids, and I've never had one. So I have not a clue what to do with them. And um, when were you gifted these orchids? I presume they were in full flower then. Uh, no, actually the person um, is a snowbird, so she left for Florida and said, oh, by the way, there's two orchids on my table. You may have them. Yeah, with no flowers. Yeah. That, <laughs> that's Come on, that's like somebody bringing boiled chicken to a potluck dinner. Okay. That's just, that's just wrong. Yep, yep. So, um... One of them still has green stalks on it, and they're like clipped to poles with little hair clips. That's typical, yeah. Okay, the other one had totally brown stalks, and someone told me to cut them off. Okay. Uh, I not, did that. That's not all the worst, I know now. The... I did water them. Um, they're, in, they're in like a plastic container inside a pot with no drainage. Okay. Um, and yet, they're, how, long have you, uh, how long have you been killing these orchids? I just got them. I just got them on. I believe it was Monday. Okay, or good, good. So get them out. Get them okay. out. Okay. Yeah, you grab that kid at the bottom of the pool and bring him up. Okay. So uh, I'm going to presume you have Phalaenopsis, which uh, yeah, it, uh, there's a little sticker on one of the pots that said P H A N yeah. or something. Yeah, Phalaenopsis. Okay. That's the most common orchid you see for sale. It's okay. called it's called the moth orchid. Okay. Because when it is in bloom, um, the flowers appear sequentially on an arching stalk, and they look like butterflies in okay. flight. But the person who gave it the common name thought that those flowers look like a tropical moth. So in, instead of the butterfly orchid, we call it the moth orchid, which sounds okay. like it should be eating your clothes after it's done flowering. So almost all of the orchids in the world are what we call epiphytes. These are plants whose roots are not in soil. In the rainforest, in tropical areas, uh, Phalaenopsis is native to the tropical areas of Asia. These plants just hang on to trees. You probably have white ghost-like roots coming out the bottom. They're, they're actually coming, some are coming out the top and they're like a light green. Okay. Um, but the other plant, they're all wrapped around the bottom. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. In, okay. Just imagine in nature, those roots are wrapped around a tree limb or something like that. Okay. So they're never covered with soil. The only food and water they get is, like, when it rains, they get watered a lot, but they don't sit in water. And for food, I mean, they just hope a monkey poops above them at, oh. every once in a while, you know. <laughs> So, do you have a bag of monkey poop around, too? No, Not really. No, no, no. No. 
Uh, every household should have one. I do have a Great Dane, though. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We're not going there. Um, so anyway, uh, Phalaenopsis, the best way to care for them is take them out of that decorative container. The okay. plastic pot should have good drainage holes in the bottom. Okay. More orchids are killed by overwatering than underwatering. Okay. You can always water an orchid that got a little dry, but you can't bring one back from the dead that you drowned. Okay. So the less water, the better. Um, again, take it out so it's not sitting in that pot. Now, if you like the look of, and really it shouldn't be in that pot because those roots want to breathe. Right. So do you have any green leaves on these plants? Oh, the leaves are beautiful. Um, some, most of the leaves are about maybe eight inches long. Excellent. And they're nice and shiny and green? Yep. One looks like it, it's split a little bit. That's very common with these plants okay. when the leaves get really big. That's not but a the problem. Other ones are, the other ones are nice and green. Excellent. Looking. Excellent. The more, and what are the pots filled with? It, it looks should... like little tiny pieces of bark. Excellent, excellent. You want to check every once in a while to make sure that bark is not decomposing and put fresh bark in because you really don't want these roots to be in anything that resembles soil. Okay. So once a week, what I want you to do is take the plant, pot and all, put a couple inches of water in a sink, sit the pot in the, in the water for about an hour, and take it out, put it in the drain board and in the dish drain thing and then put it back into place. Um, okay. If you have green leaves, you are going to get new shoots coming up, and then those shoots will develop nodes, and from those nodes will come a secondary shoot that will carry the flowers. Okay. You gotta be patient. Sometimes it can take six months for this to happen. Okay. But they never go dormant. They're not gonna go dormant in the winter, and you don't want to expose them to direct sunlight. All right, I have, I have, um... I have them in a room where I have uh, like eight Christmas cactuses and they're all, they love it there. Okay, that's very good. Okay. Um, make sure the room stays warm but not hot. These, mm -hmm. uh, these are tropical plants. They don't like to drop below 62, 63 degrees at night. Uh, the lowest it would be would be like 65 here. Okay, that's perfect. And then around 75 to 80 would be the top limit. So okay. as long as you keep it in there, in okay. indirect light, water once a week by sitting the thing in, in a thing of water, and then go out and see if you can find, I'm serious now, a bag of worm castings, or if you have a friend who makes compost. Okay. Uh, put some of that in a sock and fill the, uh, put it in a jar of clean water, not, not city tap water, use spring water or like the water you use for an okay. iron, steam iron. Because the, the chemicals in city water can really be dangerous for these plants. Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, put this uh, material in a sock, let it steep, and then once a month substitute this compost tea or worm casting tea for the regular water. That, okay. should, that should be all the food they need. And since it's dilute, you can even do it every two weeks. Okay. But don't use any chemical fertilizers no matter what people tell you. Make sure, um, after a couple months, you should probably empty out that container and put in fresh bark. You can buy it in little bags at a garden center, uh, okay. orchid bark. Um, and keep it away from direct sunlight. And it sounds like they're, uh, they're healthy plants and spikes should appear. Just be patient. Okay, the, uh, the only other question I have is the one that has the green stalks, at the very end, it, it it looks like it's get the one is getting brown. It's all okay. dried out. Can you go down the stalk? Do you see any nodes, any like bulges on the stalk? All the way down there, I, but I don't, I don't know what they are. They oh, look like that, those brown, are those are dried leaves. Well, little bulges on the on the stalk itself. Um, uh, if there, if you can find a little bulge, cut the, the browning stalk off right above that bulge. If, okay. if you can't, just cut it back by a couple of inches, and if it okay. keeps browning, keep cutting it back. But new ones will appear as long as those leaves are green and the plant is healthy. Okay. All right, good luck. All right, well, thank you very much. And if you get nice flowers, don't give it back to her. You know, that was... I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care, Karen. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear on Thursday, February 21st and Friday the 22nd at the Connecticut Flower and Garden Show at the Connecticut Convention Center in West Hartford, Connecticut. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with everything you need to grow superior sweet corn and more of your superior phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from WLVT PBS 39 in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural, organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. 1-833-727-9585. 1-833-727-9588. Hello, Susan. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I am just ducky, thanks for asking. Where is Susan Fine? I'm from Delray, New Jersey. Oh, sure. The Garden State. Yes. What can we do for Susan in New Jersey? In Jersey. Jersey. Well, I have a question. Um, long time ago, I had some lemon seeds, and I put them in a, you know, dirt, and it grew. Well... I had to, they were working on my porch, so I had to take it off my porch, and I gave it to my grandson to keep. Now that it's gotten cold, it's inside of his place, mm-hmm. but it's not doing anything. So I wonder, how do you take care of it when it's cold in the inside? Because it, it did grow. Right. But, it, but it's never flowered. No, it had never flowered. Yeah. See, um, the best way to grow your own lemons is to actually spend the money and you get a grafted tree. That means grafted that tree. yeah, that means they take um, essentially a sprig of a real lemon tree, a real orange tree, a real lime tree, and they join it with a rootstock that's designed to keep the tree small. And those trees, the most famous of which is the Meyer lemon, uh, named for the guy who developed it. Um, and those trees are, are, are manageable. Uh, they top out at like two feet. They flower every winter, and they just fill the house with this citrus scent. And then the, they'll give you a good amount of lemons. Oh, okay. What, but these are not grown from seed. What oh, you okay. Okay. What you have grown is what we call a standard tree. Mm-hmm. N- now... Um, You've been you've been down in Southern Florida, Southern California, maybe, and seen lemon trees growing in backyards. Yes, long time ago, and I wanted to try it, but I thought it just was from the seeds. I guess it's not. It can be from the seeds down there because they have that tropical temperature. Oh, okay. Um, but here, you know, in in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, Delaware, um, all those kind of places, that tree has to come inside in the winter. And go back outside in the summer. So you planted a seed. Lemon seed sprouts very easily, and it grows into a lemon tree, but it's what we call a standard, which means it'll grow to 10 or 12 feet tall before right. it ever produces any fruit. And you must have no- how, how many years old is this tree? Um, now it's going on like a year and a half. Okay, so it hasn't gotten the really dangerous thorns yet. No, no. Okay, but you see where they're starting. Yes. Yeah. Those thorns are going to become daggers. (laughs) Yeah, the real citrus in the wild um, is a very thorny tree, probably for protection from predators and herbivores. So your tree is a nice conversation piece, but it will get much too large uh, for you to easily move it in and out. And it may never produce lemons in your lifetime. Oh, okay. So it was fun to do, but it gets old after a while because you don't get any reward. But what you can do, you can go to a nice garden center or nursery or shop around online and look for the, quote, Meyer lemon. And you'll see see there are dwarf-sized trees of all these wonderful citrus fruits. And again, they flower indoors in the winter time and oh, okay. it oh it's it's better than spring bulbs just as you're starting to get depressed because you know the sun goes down at two o'clock in the afternoon uh-huh. these things open up and they scent the whole house and and beautifully oh, and then yeah. 
you get lemons. So you have oh, to wow. you have to spend a couple of bucks because people put a lot of effort into joining the two different plants together. Uh, but they're very easy care. You know, inside, you keep them warm during the day. You let the room get a little cooler at night. You give them bright light. You feed them all year round because they never go dormant. They love to go outside in the summertime. But one of the most interesting things is they tend to flower and fruit in the winter indoors. Uh, and, and they're pretty easy care. I, I think you'd love having it around. So, because I know um, it's a, a station on TV that sells, they have a lot of plants that they sell. And I did think I've seen Meyer trees they were selling. Um, so. I like the idea of, for instance, you getting it from a local independent garden center. Okay, um, cool. You have one by me. Okay. Because then okay. they can help you. They can give oh, okay. you advice, okay. you know, that kind of thing. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, I have one. So how do you keep it? Does it have to be watered all the time, or how do you? It needs it needs more water than other house plants in the winter because it's never dormant. Um, so oh, you don't want it to be sopping wet, but you want the soil to be moist. It likes a lot of gentle organic plant food, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's pretty easy to take care of. Oh, okay. And one more thing. Um, Wait a the minute. One that what I are, is now, there a, a circus? Wait a minute. Grow, Wait a minute. Guess, huh? Wait. <laughs> is there a circus coming in the background there, Susan? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so. Um, what I'm supposed to do with the other one, just let it enjoy it, I guess, right? Yeah, that's up to you. When it gets too big to bring it inside, you just let it die in the wintertime. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Good luck to you, Suze. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which we are calling Banish Winter with dreams of a sweet corn summer. Doug from Metro Detroit writes, in response to a recent comment you made on the show, I definitely do not want you to have to try and find honest work. And since you said you were a little short on questions, I'm sending mine. I love growing sweet corn, but in two years of growing sweet corn in the same in-ground bed, I believe I have managed to deplete my soil nutrients. In 2017, I had a fantastic harvest, but in 2018, the corn was stunted and only a handful of cobs were successfully produced. At the start of that second season, I did spread compost on top of the soil and added a little bit of light organic fertilizer, but I don't think I used enough or I didn't use the right stuff as the harvest basically sucked. I know I'm supposed to rotate my crops, but my raised beds are not deep enough for corn. So I grew in ground. For 2019, I'm hoping to move all my corn to a nearby community garden and use my in-ground beds at home to grow carrots and a lot of potatoes. What should I do to restore full nutrition to those in-ground beds after two seasons of back-to-back sweet corn growing? Love the show. Keep it up. Glad you're still going strong. Well, thank you, Doug. Not sure how strong I feel in these months of ice and snow, but I am still going, often two or three times a night. Now, you are half right about me, but you are dead wrong about your sweet corn needs. And that's a good thing, as I believe this will help our listeners learn a lot from your, I'm not going to call them mistakes, let's call them your presumptions. Okay, your mistakes. Now, Although I champion the cause of raised beds, those elevated growing platforms are not ideal for every situation. And corn, whether it's sweet corn, field corn, dent corn, or popcorn, is the shining example. These plants are very shallow rooted and tend to fall over in deep raised beds. I have to create what are essentially horticultural boxing rings with stakes and ropes to keep mine upright. So lesson number one, we're sticking with flat earth. Number two, it is not unusual to have a great crop one year and a pissy one the next, especially when the next was an historically wet and nasty season like 2018. Number three, it is always a good idea to rotate your crops. A truly good and decent person would, for instance, grow sweet corn one year, then a nitrogen-fixing crop a 
ground cover to replenish the soil in year two, a totally unrelated crop like potatoes in year four, something like tomatoes in year five, and then back to corn. Luckily, I am not a good and decent person, and I'm not hamstrung by such horticultural niceties, and would have no fear of growing corn back to back for many seasons if the corn and soil are cared for carefully. Number four, corn is a simple plant that wants just three things, lots of sun, lots of water, and lots of nitrogen fertilizer. It's essentially the same as a lawn, which makes sense as corn is a grass. Once the young plants have been up and growing for a few weeks, feed them a good amount of corn gluten meal, well-composted horse manure, composted poultry manure, or an organic bagged fertilizer that's labeled specifically for use on corn or lawns. Don't worry about phosphorus and potassium. Corn just wants nitrogen and lots of it. Number five, corn also wants a lot of friends and relatives nearby. The minimum recommendation to get good full ears is a block of 36 plants. That's nine tight rows of nine tight rows. But the more, the better. Think about what happens at flowering time. The stalks that produce the pollen at the top drop that pollen down into the developing silks. Every pollen grain that lodges in a silk becomes a kernel of corn in that cob. How cool is that? So you want as many plants together as tightly as possible. No growing in rows here. You want blocks. Number six, feed a couple of times during the growing season. The more plants you have crowded together, the more nitrogen-rich food they'll need. But stick with organic and natural sources. The chemical fertilizers used to grow corn conventionally ruin the soil and kill soil life. Number seven. Corn is not necessarily welcome in a community garden, as one gardener's type of corn can cancel out the sweetness of others. Aha, here's your lesson. There are several types of sweet corn. SU, or standard sweet corn, which was bred long ago to be sweeter than the field corn fed to animals and used to make cornmeal chips and such. SE, which stands for sugary enhanced or sugary extended, is much sweeter than the SU types. Then there's SH2, which stands for super sweet or shrunken, as the kernels contain so much sugar that they take on a shriveled appearance when they're dry. They can be up to four or 10 times sweeter than your basic sweet corn, but they're a little more finicky to grow. And of course, there's also the old original field corn, some varieties of which are nice and sweet if picked at the right time, which is called the milk stage. So you can't mix and match. If different types of corn are grown in close proximity and their pollens mix, all the corn can become bitter and starchy. Pick one variety a season and grow a lot of it. Oh, and ixnay on the potatoes and carrots in the flat earth bed, too. These root crops produce best in a light, loose soil, and they are the poster children for growing in raised beds. Well, that sure was some great information about growing the greatest taste of summer now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to mix up my sweet corn seeds. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. 
Or if you don't know how to get letters and numbers together in your head, just go to our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find all the answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is Cheerly, Cheerly, Charlie, Sarah. Cheerly, Cheerly. He's a cheerleader, ladies and gentlemen. You should see the man's pom-poms. Cheerful Charlie Sarah is our engineer. Our social media director, Amanda McGrath, maintains our Facebook page. Check out her fine work and like us on Facebook. Unless you, you don't like us. Tavia Minnick works the phones. I think she likes us. Well, maybe I should ask our website wonder, Anastasia Weckerly, if she does. Our audio editor, Jazzy Jones Bowen, is wondering if we just dropped back to middle school. Our video editors, Capable Kelly Hurd and Jazzy Jake, are also confused. Our floor manager, John DeSantis, is never confused when he gets giant monsters involved. Harassed and harried Javier Diaz has been confused since I showed up. Oh, and his job title is all of them. Regal Ron Ruscha is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Chief Techno Officer Andy Cummins makes the equipment work. Zach the Takwisneski is in the house. We think that our CEO Tim Fallon is also in the house. If he is, he's in a meeting that he was late for. Or he's in the break room thanks to that recent all-station email about the giant box of donuts. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. My favorite donut, by the way, is chocolate honey dip from Dunkin' Donuts. And my birthday was last week. Just saying. And I'm also saying that I'll see you again next week. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com.